Welcome, my friends, to the Bob and Brad podcast produced by Bob and Brad, the two most famous physical therapists on the internet. I am Bob and I'm exactly one half of the Bob and Brad team. Today is truly an honor to be joined once again by Dr. Hamad Abbasi, a neurosurgeon, means he's smart. And uh, we've had him on before to talk about a, a minimally invasive uh, surgery he does for the lumbar spine. But this one is a minimally evasive uh, surgery for the sacroiliac joint. And you're going to find out that, you know, maybe your back pain is coming from your sacroiliac. We'll discuss all that today, uh, along with uh, what the procedure is, where it's at, how to get it. And uh, it'll be worth your time to watch and listen to the show. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bossi. Thank you so much again for... Uh, uh, joining us, and uh, we're going to talk about a new topic today. We're going to jump right in. We're talking about uh, sacroiliac joint dysfunction. But before we do that, I, because you are going to be new to a lot of people, I'd like to have you give a, a little bit of backstory um, yes. about so we know who you are and what you do. First of all, thank you very much Papa, for having me on your show again. And it's always a pleasure. And I'm a neurosurgeon, board certified neurosurgeon. I trained in medicine in three continents, in Asia, in my birth country, Iran, in Germany, where I did an MD PhD in University of Heidelberg, which by the way, is the second oldest university in Europe. Really? And then I did research in Stanford University in California for two years in 2000. Then I went to Dartmouth, did one year of general surgery. Then I went another eight years did residency in Galveston, Texas. That beautiful weather there. I just came back teaching somebody exactly my technique. Before I came to the Upper Midwest in uh, South Dakota and now in Minneapolis, I've been practicing for about 14 years. Uh, and I'm a specialized a minimal invasive spine surgeon that uh, as well include the treatment of the sacroiliac joint because sacroiliac joint is practically, is the next joint to the spine. And uh, you're at two locations up at the Twin Cities in Minnesota? Well, we are actually in, the, in, the, in Minnesota. We are in uh, uh, Crookston, in Alexandria, and in Twin City. But I just came back from El Paso, Texas, and next month I'm going to California, and uh, I have been in Colorado. We have uh, affiliates and partners practically in the entire United States. And uh, we are trying to provide this uh, kind of minimal invasive kind of care to all the population in the United States. Yes, uh, you, you do that through your ATU. Uh, I want to pronounce it right, Avicenna? Yes, yes, yeah. Avicenna Technical University. See. What I figured out is that what I'm doing, it's not something that people can go to a weekend course and learn. And unfortunately, sometimes that's what it is. Like we get really good at what we are doing as a neurosurgeon, as a spine surgeon. Yes. Like you get very comfortable driving your car, but then you get in a new car. Yes, you have to get used to it, but you just get a little instruction and then somebody shows you where the buttons are and then you drive just fine. But what we do is so different is like getting from driving a car to flying an airplane. Wow. So 
it's something that you need significant additional training and that additional training because all of this is new is not being provided by the universities except we are making our own university to teach this highly uh, technical skills to surgeons that uh, want to take time to learn that. By the way, talking about Avicina, I took the name from a polymath, Persian polymath, who in 10th century practically discovered alcohol, created significant new treatment modern treatment that was in Europe now 700 years later in the Renaissance and practically came with the idea of experiment, observation, scientific method. And by the way, his book, the, the, the Canon of Medicine was being taught until 1800 in all the universities in Europe. His name is Avicenna and uh, in the local uh, call him Ebnesina, and uh, he lived about thousand years ago. And in his honor, we called our university Avicenna Technical University. Oh, well, I think that's terrific. And uh, I'm sure you're really spreading uh, out the uh, basic intention of this man, I think, um, to try to spread learning. So, and I think that's really cool. I mean, here's a surgeon who you got to be in the top 1% as far as bu being busy, and you're taking time to go to another facility and teach people. I mean, really amazing. So um, do you also teach the SI joint? Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I just did that. I just came from uh, El Paso, Texas, where for the first time in the history of the city, they did a spinal fusion the technique we talked about last time in a surgery center on the day surgery, they did, we did a bunch of patients. Now all of them went home within hours. This is unheard of in the history and for, especially for their city. This is the first, this is the first they have achieved that. But as well, I, uh, I did a teaching for the sacroiliac joint. And the reason for that is that the problems of the spine and the sacroiliac joint goes hand in hand. Um, Sacroiliac joint is practically an extension of our spine, of our lumbar spine. Sure. Um, what? What? Uh, you have a spine by you? Otherwise, I have one near. I, I have. I have. A, I'm a spine surgeon. I always have spine here <laughs> <laughs> with me, and I have as well lots of pictures. I can. Well, I have, you have a full, full. I can get a full spine, but I have as well a small spine. Maybe huh. I should go and get a full spine. No, that's fine. That's fine. That yeah. uh, we can use borrow people's imagination. So yes, <laughs> um, um, practically our lumbar spine is made of bone and discs interspersed. Each bone and disc are uh, practically uh, go to the next level, and we call them in the lumbar spine. Uh, we call them top to bottom, one, two, three, four, and five. So we have um, practically five lumbar vertebrae. Now. And lumbar is low back. Yeah, lumbar is the low oh, back. Okay. And um, it, uh, very interesting trivia, uh, we are going from five lumbar vertebrae to six lumbar vertebrae. When I was a med student, it was only 2% of the people had the six lumbar vertebrae. Now there are about 10% of the people that have Really? Yeah, I have a friend that has the six. So. Yeah. 
the reason for that is that the woman love taller men. <laughs> People with six, six lumbar vertebrae are statistically more likely have a six lumbar vertebrae. Sure. Why they are taller. So the women are making us to go from five lumbar to six lumbar. In hundred years, all men will have six lumbar. There we go, maybe seven. So. Yeah, but then on the bottom of our vertebrae, we have this chunk of bone. It's called sacrum. Practically in a when we are baby in the belly of our mother, there are five or six bone here. They grow, become one bone. We call that sacrum. And this bone is what practically hanging in our pelvis from our iliac bone or pelvis. And hence we call the connection between them, we call them sacroiliac joint or SI joint, where our entire weight is literally hanging from our pelvis. It is not a real joint, Bob. And the way we know it's not a real joint is we have done tremendous amount of research long before I was even born. We know all the muscles in this area. We know that not a single muscle is acting to move this joint. Gotcha. In medicine, we have a name for that. When something looks like a joint, but doesn't have a motion, and we know that it eventually grows together, we call that synostosis. Gotcha. This is mm. in reality a synostosis, meaning it's a place that two bones come together, but there is no physiologic motion there. And there is practically no muscle that acts on this joint to make it move. The only time in reality this joint, sacroiliac joint, moves is when a woman is giving birth. Practically, uh, our pelvis goes around it. It opens up the pelvis about uh, five to seven degree to open up the opening of the pelvis so baby have more space to pass through. And even then, it's actually our body's amazing ball. It, enzymes, actual, our, our body produces enzymes that makes those bands, there are strong bands around it. And if you like, I have actually a picture I can show you those pictures. We have very strong bands that hold this together we are, because we are suspending practically our entire torso, arms, and heads from this joint. But when a pregnant woman is about to give birth, there are some enzymes, they go and loosen those bands so this joint can move and open up for a baby safely to pass through. And I assume they tighten back up in most cases. Well, uh, the, that is a, one of the problem is that after the a woman giving birth to a baby, in the next year or two, the rate of them having sacroiliac problem is seven times higher than general population for same yes. reason. Because we know that once these joints become loose, um, motion becomes more, and the trauma is more likely to happen in this. And, and those bands, those tensions bands, those capsule, that covers this joint are very pain sensitive. And people talk about truly very bad pain, especially many of my patients, they tell me they have that pain when they turn from side to side in the night, it wakes them up. Or another thing they tell me that, you know, like uh, uh, especially when they go stairs up or down, 
That is when we put pressure on this joint. And uh, again, coming back to that, this is not the real joint. And if it moves, those bands, those sensitive bands, they tell us this is overstress and uh, that's what the pain is to make us to avoid many things that are going to be uh, harmful to us, in this case, to the sacroiliac joint. Are there other signs of uh, the sacroiliac disease? Yes, yes. And you know, um, practically uh, the, any sign of any joint that is gone bad can be as well a sign for sacroiliac joint. Even though it's not a true joint, in some regard, it does behave like a real joint. Now, now imagine what are, if you have a problem in the elbow, any kind of motion in the elbow can you cause, the, cause the problem. And the joint can swell up, joint can get inflamed. If you have a joint problem like in your knees, sometimes the nerve that passes next to your knee get irritated, inflamed. Sure. And then you have pain actually coming along that nerve all the way down to your foot. And uh, I can actually uh, send you some picture and you can use them or I can Absolutely. show you. And I can, or I can show you a picture of the nerves that are next to that, to this joint. Sure. Those are the lower lumbar nerves. We call them L4, L5, S1, and S2 nerve. So for a long time, we truly didn't understand why somebody with a sacroiliac joint, what, why do they have pain going down their legs? But now we understand that very well. The joint that goes next to this, the nerves that go next to the sacroiliac joint can get inflamed if sacroiliac joint itself is inflamed. So many times these people, they say they have pain going down the leg even, all the way down to their foot because L5 and S1 nerves would go all the way down to our foot and they pass over the sacroiliac joint to get to those nerves. So and obviously uh, people are going to think it's uh, sciatica. Yes, I mean. it can pretend, it can literally, some of us, we call sacroiliac joint a chameleon because sure. it can pretend to be a sciatica, it can pretend to be the lumbar spine problem. It can pretend to be a problem of the hip. And sometimes it can even pretend to be a problem of the foot because it gives you literally pain in your foot. That we call, we call it the chameleon. But as well, we have another name for this joint, Bob. Can you guess what else we call this joint? I'm not sure, what else? <laughs> we call it magic joint. Magic joint. We call it a magic joint because people who have been in pain for 15 years, who have all the symptoms that not local, but all over the body because of the problem of this joint, we do a half an hour procedure for them and they come back and they want to stand up and hug us and give us a, a, a big hug and are so thankful because for I them, it's magic. Yep. For them, it's magic. They, you do this, once you understand how this works, once you put them through proper diagnostic, you do a half an hour procedure in four weeks, their life changes. And they, people who have been addicted to drugs because everybody look at their spine and they didn't see any problem in the spine, for God's sake, because the problem never was the spine. Sure. Then you fix them, you diagnose them, you fix them, and that for them, is a magical moment.
Well, we'll talk about that, how you'd go about diagnosing this, but how, how often are you seeing this in uh, the patients that who have back pain and may be caused by an SI, pro SI problem, but also patients who have had fusion surgery? Yes. Fusion surgery. So, no, uh, the diagnostic of that and the, the data on that is very clear. We know by now that about 22% of the time, if somebody comes to, to any doctor and says they have back problem, 22% of the time, it is not their spine. It is back. It is lower back pain. But the source of the pain is not spine. It is actually sacroiliac joint. It becomes tremendously more interesting if they had a previous fusion in the lumbar spine, statistically, 43% of it's almost oh my half gosh. of them. If they come back and they have pain, it is not the spine anymore. It's a sacroiliac joint. And in a typical fashion, people who are not trained to treat sacroiliac joint, they look only at the spine that they, I constantly get patient. They go to their surgeon and the surgeon look at the spine and they say, it's nothing wrong with it. I don't know why you are having the pain. Some of them become narcotic addicts. Some of them, they, 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 unfortunately, they get branded as pain seeker and so on. Sure. Because we are just looking in the wrong place. And the patient come to me and say, my pain is real. I feel it, even though my surgeon investigated everything. But they investigated just a spine. And this data, 43%, truly is tremendous understanding this People get the same pain back that they had before the spine fusion. But it's easy to understand that. They say lower, lower lumbar spine and the sacroiliac joint are just one inch apart. Right. The symptoms can be so similar and so confusing. Remember the chameleon joint. Right. That we think patient come back and says, I have the same pain I had before you did my surgery. And the surgeon looks at the fusion, it's good. Look at the hardware, it's good. Look at the rest of the spine, it's good. And he has to say, I don't know what's going on. It is, you, I don't see any problem just because they're not trained to diagnose, investigate the sacroiliac joint. And lots of people are practically stay behind the development that now we understand what the security action is. Am I correct in assuming that after those people who have had uh, fusion back for fusion surgery, that that puts more stress on the SI then? I'm, Many times it does. Many times it does. I'm not sure if you want me to share a picture with you on my screen or not. But, uh, you know, I will send you the full pictures. About yes, that. send me the pictures. We'll put them in. Well, we will. That, that really what, helps. What the picture would show is that how close really L5-S1 and the sacroiliac joint is. And when you take the motion away from L4-5-5-S1, the lower lumbar spine, when patient moves, that motion goes somewhere. Right, exactly. That is either the level above or level below. It just happened to be the level below is actually sacroiliac joint. And you ask me, what are the typical sign or history of the sacroiliac joint? We talked about the woman after they give birth. 
for that reason, women are more likely than men. One sure. of the hallmark of this joint problem is that it's more prevalence, more happening in women than men. Beside, even beside the fact that it's uh, after pregnancy, um, it's more often. Sure. One of the hallmark of this is that it is more in younger women than older women. Like problem of the spine are more likely in people between 45 and 70. Problem of the sacroiliac joint, those in average, those patients are 10, 15 years younger. It's younger people, people who work out, people who go sure. jogging and so on. And another Run, runners. Is runners, for, especially yeah. the runners, any kind of impact. And, um, and another sign, uh, another th history that we hear a lot with people with a sacroiliac joint problem is that uh, they may have it, any other trauma in the last uh, two or three years before it really starts. And it, so you see that, that the, sometimes the effect can come months or even years later after a trauma of any kind, like they fall, they have a car accident. And we understand no more because it is such a tremendously strong joint, sometimes it takes a little more time for the joint to start causing this kind of symptoms. Could it, could it also be caused by as something as simple as being in the habit of sitting on one side all the time? Like if you, if you sat, I mean, would that be enough or would that not be able uh, that, to? That, that's a very good question. And the answer to that is goes two ways. Yes, see, there is a reason Lord or nature gave us two sacroiliac joints because it wants to share our weight on two sides. Now, gotcha. if imagine if you, if you have a problem with one of your legs and you're standing all day long on the healthy legs, at the end of the day, the healthy leg is going to complain. Sure. And you have been overusing it. Or if you have a shorter leg. For example, right. absolutely, absolutely. As a matter of fact, believe it or not, I myself had an accident as a child. My left leg is shorter and is more, actually much weaker. Gotcha. Guess, guess where most of the days my pain in my legs is? Is on my right side, right. my healthy side, because I'm overusing it. Now, one of the hallmark of the sacroiliac joint is not only people who use it who use one side more are more prone to have it because the joint is not designed to take our entire weight. But as well, people who have sacroiliac joint, you see them, they go side to side. They, you see them whole month or whole week leaning to one side. And then you see them uh, a month later, they're leaning on the other side. They explain that the pain is sometimes on one side, sometimes on the other side. And so, but that, when you understand the pattern mechanism of this joint, it makes sense. It is a joint that it's supposed to take half of our weight. And if one side is diseased and causing pain, you're overstressing the other side. And by the way, the first side has some time to heal, that pain gets better, and it goes back and forth until we start fixing it for good. One thing I want to point out, and I thought you mentioned this in your presentation before, um, that it really uh, is one in four people that come to see you. I mean, if you figure the next four people or X 
eight people that come in, it's going to be yeah. two of them possibly could have SI. So it's a really high percentage. That is amazing, yeah. actually. And it is even more amazing than that is that how many people, before I learned this, I used to send out and telling them I cannot help them. Right. I think the most amazing part of that is how many people don't get adequate care because uh, and historically, there is a reason we are so, uh, we have so neglected the sacroiliac joint. The only way we knew how to fix that joint used to be going from traditional open surgery from inside out and <coughs> cutting all those muscles, all those ligaments to get in. But for almost 70 years, wow. the solution, the surgery for sacroiliac joint was worse than the disease. So we quit doing anything, doing any research, understanding how the joint works and so on. So we are 70 years, but we, for the last 20 years, literally my community has woken up, start understanding this, but unfortunately it hasn't penetrated now yet to our entire community of spine surgeon, how, how to diagnose it, how to understand it, how to uh, treat it properly. So for that reason, still many patients are sent out of spine practice uh, locations tell, being told there's nothing wrong with them and they have to live with the pain unjustly. Uh, very much so. Um, why don't we start with uh, what, what are the, someone comes in, you suspect SI pain. Uh, what are the common tests that you're going to do? Now, I, some of the things I learned and uh, I teach to many surgeons now, is that include that in your differential diagnosis. Sure. Again, chameleon joint. If there anybody has, no, if, there, if the prevalence of that was like 0.1%, right. we don't include that in our differential diagnosis. But the prevalence of 22%, I think it absolutely need to get included in any kind of differential diagnosis of the lower back pain. Now, many times there are other indications, like we talked about young female runners, wake them up in the night, and they, when they, they do activities, go stairs up and down, pain goes from side to side and so on. The history is very important. Yes. You have to start, many of the specialists, we become like so involved and so concentrating on the pictures on the yes on the million dollar machine to give us a dance whereas patient has the most uh, advanced kind of sensory inside of them they can give you all those information you should you should just talk to your patient and put your hand on the patient and examine them many of these patients they put their finger on sacroiliac joint but you just have to bother, let them stand up, let them turn around that you can look at the back and you ask them to put the finger on the back where the pain is. And often they put the finger on where the pain is, where is the sacroiliac joint? We are doctors. I'm not expecting everybody knows where the sacroiliac joint is, but I'm expecting everybody who has gone through the med school to understand where the sacroiliac joint is. Now, and we have even a name for that. We called it 14 test after, after Dr. 14, who figured out if, if, you, if they point to the location of the pain and within 
an inch, always they point to the same place. There's a high likelihood that the sacroiliac joint is a problem. Another thing that I think is important is in some of them, not many of them, but at least half of this patient, the other side of the sacroiliac joint, Bob, is mm. our groin. They say, I have pain in the back. Sometimes they tell you, sometimes if you ask them, they say, oh, yes, yes. Sometimes I do have pain in my groin because the other side of the sacroiliac joint is our groin. And then uh, the activities, you know, the, uh, like going stairs up and down. And the, all those helps you that to make sense. a yes. good picture of the what the, uh, if the pain is in the sacroiliac joint, then if it hints in that direction, the next uh, action on the surgeon's side is to provoke that joint. Bob, I know you're a physical therapist, right? Yes, and I, I wanted to ask you about the test that you developed. Yeah. Uh, I know you don't want to call it your name, the Abbasid no, test. No. You should, um, but... Um, <laughs> I, medicine um, full of names, uh, you know, I always tend to call like, I have a device that makes something in the surgery much easier. And people ask me to call it, call it a bossy, but that doesn't say a new person, a new surgeon, what that is. Right. I'm calling that facet decorticator. Every surgeon hears the name. They know what that what does. does. Right. Decorticate. The surface of the facet joint in our spine, every surgeon just need to hear the name. So I'm more all more for making teaching and learning easy rather than put my name on devices and tests. It, it almost seemed to me that, and maybe I'm wrong because I don't know what your test is for sure, but it seems like someone could almost do it on themselves. I mean, they could. They could. They could. I mean, first off, if they can't, you want to describe it, but if they can't even do it, that's that's part of the test, right? Yeah. Itself. Generally, if it's, yes, to a certain point, you can do it yourself, but um, it has to be that, you know, it's a passive. They have to be passive. Somebody active. Sure. Because guess, guess what? Try to stick a needle in yourself. Then you see how tense you become. Right. This is same mechanism. It's one of those tests. It's better somebody else can do it for is a provocation test. What I learned over many years, do you know who is the best person to do that test? Physical therapist. Sure. They are the best people to do this test because they understand the joint. They are, they know uh, how to perform those tests. And the idea of the sacroiliac provocation test is anything that put pressure on it. Now, the fact is right. that this joint mm. is in the middle of our body. There are lots of ligaments attached to that. Sometimes you don't have, you cannot provoke enough force to provoke this joint. So for that reason, the, most of the time you use your pelvis and femur as a fulcrum, like, like a wrench, like a crowbar to magnify our force to provoke the joint. But the idea, I'm not going to go through the, the, the individual kind of test because right, you don't I can send to. you, and I think for the popular, uh, for the populace, it's really. Yeah, that's, I would like you to describe yours, so, because yeah, yeah. that would so, be helpful. <laughs> now, many times, I, I think many of these tests, 
they use your femur, your pelvis to provoke the test. Right. Now, and you remember we talked about that when many of these patients in the middle of the night, they wake up yes. because when they turn from side to side, it's something as well as trivia. And people don't know that, but every 15 to 20 minutes in your sleep, even when you're sleeping, you automatically turn from side to side. That is why you don't wake up in the morning having pressure sores, broken skin, because sure. you automatically do that. Now, these poor people, every time they do that, the pain wakes them up. And, so, and that's not surprising to me because uh, we find instability in the lumbar spine, the same thing. They, they'll, yeah. they'll wake up with pain. Yeah. Exactly. Now, the, the test that I developed puts make it easier because to do the, those tremendous tests, you have to put the patient on a bed, you have to right. yank their, uh, their, their femur, take their pelvis and push them back and forth. Sometimes you need a place to start before you do those because if you do that with everybody, um, it's going to be tremendously uh, cumbersome. But if you want to do a quick test and then if it's positive, do the proper test, you just ask uh, uh, the person to, and I'm going to back a little to show sure. my own foot yep. here. You ask them to put one leg over the other one. Sometimes they cannot do that. That's already provoking their pain. Yes. And then if you gently start pushing down on the knee down, Practically, you are distracting and extending the sacroiliac joint. And almost uh, everybody who has a sacroiliac joint at one or the other level described to you this action extremely painful. And uh, I'm, 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 ju I'm just going to call it sacroiliac combined test. All right. Because that tells everybody that you're uh, practically putting denseling test, paper test, and distraction test together. All together. One easy test without putting a patient on a stretcher or a bed. But then if positive, then you still go and do those uh, provocation tests. And, and then you were, I'm sorry, I cut you off, but you were, you were about ready to talk about the next step to diagnose is provoking the joint. So now once the history fits and the provocation test fit, we just have to make sure that that is where the pain is coming from. And the way I describe it to my patient, I tell them, when you go to the dentist, he numbs up your gum on the right side and start drilling on the right side. Right. If he numbs up the right side and start on drilling on the left side, that numbing will have no proper action. It's useless. It only works if the pain is produced on the same side that if you numb it up, that pain goes away. And guess what? And sacroiliac joint, it's a very confined place. And there is a very specific protocol to that, which by the way has been nationally standardized. Like you have to do it in a certain way from certain angle in certain part of the joint with certain amount of medication. So you don't want to numb everything. 
But if you do it properly and patient will come back and tell you 75% of their symptoms is gone away. And we sometimes we ask them to go and do things that are usually painful. And surprisingly, they can come and tell you, yes, 85% of my pain was gone, 90% of my pain was gone. But you have to tell them, I'm just numbing up the joint. So pain will return. As a matter of fact, some of, sometimes if patients don't understand what the diagnostic test is, right. this is not a therapeutic test. This is a diagnostic test. Sometimes they come and tell me that, doctor, it didn't help me at all. After three days, pain came back even worse. But then my question is, how was it in that three days before the pain come back? Oh yeah, it was great for <laughs> But this is the idea of a diagnostic test. And now, obviously, obviously, I think you talked about too that you gotta make sure it's uh, in the, uh, well, in the joint and not the ligaments. Yeah. No, no, what we do is generally, we wanna be sure that they didn't get better just because of placebo effect or they had a good day or, Sure. Some other things, but we do. I do that test three times, meaning that I inject that uh, joint three times. If every time I inject that joint, seventy-five percent of the pain goes away for a very short period of time, obviously, then we are sure this is where the pain is generated. We call that pain generator. We, then we are sure that the sacroiliac joint is the pain generator. So and that's the diagnosis is confirmed. Three separate occasions. Three separate occasions, wow. preferably two weeks apart, but at least until the waiting until the pain is back. Now there is a caveat here. Then this is not an easy joint to inject because bone is on bone, the space yeah. is very narrow, and because this joint has no function, nature allows lots of variations. Sometimes in the same patient right and the left sacroiliac joint look different. For that reason, it's not an easy joint to inject, but um, we can do it if you are trained properly. You just have to go to somebody who has done it enough and knows how to do that because it is unlike other joints, it's harder than other joints to inject. But the caveat is once your needle is there, there's no reason not to put a little steroid there. About one fourth to one third of my patient after three injections, they come back and say, hey, doctor, I'm actually good. I don't want anything else. I say, great. I helped you with all the surgery. I send them out. And unfortunately though, after two, three years, some of them still come back and the joint cause them problem. But now we know what the problem is. So this injection, even though it's diagnostic, by us adding a little bit of a steroid to that, we can as well combine it, make it, making a therapeutic injection at the same time. Very good. The beauty of that and what patient needs to know is that it, don't, it doesn't interfere with the diagnostic part. But the reason for that is local anesthetic, which worked for the diagnostic part, works right away. Within two days, it's completely gone. As a matter of fact, when you go to your dentist, Bob, and they numb up your gum in your... How long do you feel the numbness? Well, usually that day. I mean, it, yeah, six hours, six, eight hours. Right. Yeah, but because your gum is well perfused and washes it out, sacroiliac joint is not well perfused. So the local anesthetic realistic can stay one, two, three days 
but nothing more than that. Do you need assistance as far as, far as uh, uh, video to guide you into the right spot, or do you just yeah, do we use we use either a CAT scan, CT, or a fluoroscope. Most of the time, we use sure. a fluoroscope, a live X-ray to he uh, practically guide us to be in the right place. And then once we put the local anesthetic and we put the steroid, the effect of the steroid is just the first day or two. Steroids start working four, five, six, or seven days after the injection. So they don't, it doesn't confuse you to gotcha. that yeah. therapeutic injection. Makes sense. So let's talk about the treatment. Let's, um, let's go into it. Well, the first order in treating the sacroiliac joint is people like you, Bob. People sure. who bring balance, like somebody who's using all the time just one of the, the sacroiliac joint. You teach them to have a good posture, to have a good balance in using that. Second order is still what you do, strengthening the muscles that protect the joint or pelvic muscle. Many of those treatments are identical to the treatment of lumbar spine, with posture, strengthening of paraspinal and gluteal muscle, even iliopsoas, and as well, um, some overall management of the pain, pain expectation to reduce the inflammation. Pain medication like non-steroidal uh, inflammatory the medication like ibuprofen, aspirin, and so on, Braces has not been great to manage this. Braces, there are not really good enough braces that can stabilize that contrary to our extremities or spine. And, and, and on top of that, some behavioral modification. Bob, I don't need to tell you. If you go and play tennis and you come back and your elbow is hurting, yes. maybe you shouldn't play tennis for a while. So some right. behavioral modification is obviously important. Beyond uh, that, please. No, just what percentage would you say that don't require surgery? I mean, majority of them. Majority uh, do not require. Majority, like many of the patients who have the after um, giving birth have sacroiliac joint, as you said, they go on. It may take a year and so on, but they go on and get the, the ligament becomes stronger and they get better. A vast majority of the people after spinal fusion may have sacroiliac problem because temporarily it has to take more, but then they as well learn and the ligament becomes stronger. They don't need a sacroiliac fusion. But still the number of the people who all the other means fail and even the injection, you, you remember we talked about that many of these people right. when I do therapeutic injection uh, say diagnostic injection, I do as well therapeutic injection at the same time by giving steroid. Many of them, they go and get better. They don't need a surgery. As well, I think uh, what uh, uh, there are some other like radiofrequency ablation and some other injection that are not diagnostic that that can help. Contrary to lumbar spine, those burning the nerve doesn't really work really well for sacroiliac joint. I see. But, Physical therapy, behavioral modification, and just anti-inflammatory drugs are a good uh, first-line treatment. Second-line treatment and less successful, significantly less successful, is any kind of bracing or radiofrequency ablation. 
people talk about the stem cell and this and all of that is experimental. There is no evidence that any of that really works. Like taking your plasma and centrifuging it, taking your platelets or stem cell injecting there, all of that is experimental. There is no evidence that any of that really contribute. For that reason, most of insurances don't pay for that. It's cash pay. So it's expensive and it really doesn't provide much benefit to my best knowledge at this point based on any evidence provided. So now we're moving on to the surgical options. And what are those? So uh, I think uh, nature throws us a bone there. Now, it, certainly there are lots of problems with the sacroiliac joint, but it's a joint that has no function uh, besides opening up in the, during the pregnancy and delivery. But even that, my OBGYN colleague have told me, now it's irrelevant. We don't really rely on that these days. If baby doesn't want to come out, you're not going to wait for sacroiliac joint to open. Sure. You're just going to take that baby out and we are good at it. So they're telling me it's irrelevant. Fusion of the sacroiliac joint is irrelevant, except extraordinary circumstance. And obviously everybody in that situation need as well to consult their OBGYN doctor regarding that. But beside that, it has no function. And so the solution is easy. If too much motion stretches the ligament and cause significant horrible pain, you just have to stop that process to, for, that, for that joint to move too much. Unfortunately, for 70 years, the way to do that, it was a horrendous, uh, very invasive surgery, but those times are over. We figured out finally how to stabilize the spine without causing too much surrounding damage. So how do you do that? I mean, uh, I know you go through the little triangle on the lumbar spine. So is yeah. there a, a, a similar spot on the sacral leg? Yeah, well, let's first talk about how it used to be done and why it was bad and why the new method is better. See, what here you see that just the sacral and the iliac crest is connected to that and there are tremendous amount of vessel muscle, nerve, ligament here. To get there, you have to go through all of that. And then you get to the sacroiliac joint. It's not unusual to lose just one fourth of your body blood just to get to that joint. Oh, wow. Because you have to go through all the structure. Until we figure that out, we can go to sacroiliac joint without going through the back. We just have to go from the side and go through your iliac crest and then go put literally like, um, like two pieces of wood. We have to put screws or something with, that stabilize that joint, that, that joint doesn't move anymore the wrong way. Now, initially people start obviously putting just orthopedic screws there. The orthopedic people have been using screws for a very long time. It did work. And then some people came out with putting something that looked like a nail. Actually, mm. as a matter of fact, they first start pins, like ortho, orthopedic surgeons sure, yes. start using pins before they start using screws because it's easier to make a pin. And based on the pin technology, 
people start using what we call plugs, sacroiliac plugs. And those plugs are in different form. Some of them look like a nail. Some of them look like a triangular kind of plugs or nail and so on. But we know that orthopedic surgeon, they have come away from pins. They mostly use screws now for a good reason, because we know the same size nail is somewhere between four and seven times stronger than the same size, uh, the same size screw, screw, seven times, four to seven times stronger than same size nail. So um, I started with those plugs, but I noticed that many of those patients, I have to go back and revise that. By the way, the company who made those plugs, uh, I don't, I'm not going to say any brand names here, they finally came with the screw system themselves. They recognized they themselves that screws are better. But most of the system that exists right now, they are actually, they use uh, two or three screws that they go from outside to inside. And I will send you some x-rays as well of those. Uh, I would really those. appreciate that, yes. Yeah. And those screws, what they do, they stabilize the joint. Now. The idea is that if you have only one screw or nail, it can rotate around it, but by putting two or three, it not only make it that it are together, but it cannot rotate around that screw. So the motion completely goes away and hence the magic joint. These people do so much better with that. The idea of the surgery is that to stabilize, make sure that joint doesn't move and the joint grows together properly. And then the ligaments don't have to carry our entire weight anymore. So that's two or three on one side. On each side. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, we have a new method of doing that. You know, when every time you pass from outside to inside, you have to pass through tissue. We have created a method that um, you pass only once, but then you put three screws through the same path that are connected wow. together. Yes. That look like the Roman god of uh, uh, the uh, Roman god of uh, Z, you know, Poseidon, like sure. trident. We called it trident because it looked like a trident. And but the advantage of that is you pass only once, so you put the tissue only one time passing and one time trauma, but you still get three screws. And are, it works really well. As a matter of fact, today morning, I did two of those surgeries. Both patients went home within one and a half hour after the surgery. Oh, so amazing. We made a surgery that used to be five hours, half a gallon of blood loss to a 20-minute procedure and patient go home same day. Almost faster than going to your dentist. But I, I once clarified, so you would do both sides at the same time? Some surgeons do that, but Bob, I don't like to do both sides at the same time for two reasons. Number one is when we do that surgery, I tell my patient not to step on that joint. Makes sense. You just got a surgery on that right. joint. You don't want to step on that. Imagine if I do both sides, how are they going to walk? They can. And if they don't walk, they may have blood clot in their leg right. and other problems that Weakness. can be deadly. Yep. There's no reason to do that. So... I do one side, I let them heal so they can walk on that before I do the other side. And now here comes again, the magic part of the sacroiliac joint being a magic joint. Half of the time that I fix one side, people can use it more. It's stable, bone is growing. 
the other side get better. I don't even have to go and do the other side because the stress of the other side goes away. So Completely hence, makes sense. Hence magic. So two reasons not to do both sides at the same time. First how, of long all, does a, how long does the patient have to be uh, non-weight-bearing on that? We, when I started this uh, eight years ago, I would tell the patient four weeks walking with a walker not to touch weight bearing and mm -hmm. actually can explain that to your audience. That means your toes can touch the ground, but you don't, you don't put weight on there. But with the new system, my patients are telling me after two weeks, they are fine. They can, really? because the system is so stable, much more stable than those plugs or uh, nail kind of uh, instrument. And we made a study, uh, similar size, uh, actually sacroiliac screws are four and a half, 4.3 times stronger than those plugs. So for that reason, this patient within two weeks, they can put full weight on that and return to their basic activities. We no. generally still wait about two months or so. So we are sure you're not going to overstress because if we do the other side, we ask them not to step on the other side. Sure. So does insur insurance generally approve this? Absolutely. Not only they approve it, now they understand some of insurances, they want us to go and fix it after two injections. Really? Because, yeah, that is, uh, that that's unusual. Of, yeah, it is unusual, but they know that if two have been positive, the third is going to be the positive, and then they have to pay for the surgery. They want to skip paying for the, that's true so i i gotta ask you the question uh how many of these surgeries have you done i have done closer to 250 of that oh my gosh this surgery so i'm not only i'm an expert but you know i used all the knowledge i gained from treating this not to not only creating a trident a new way of making it you know even with the screw system and plugs it's still a one-hour surgery. It used to be five-hour surgery. Now we, they made it to one-hour surgery. Now we made that one-hour surgery to a 15-minute procedure by Trident uh, being so efficient of doing everything that needs to get done within 15 to 20 minutes. Now, but this is not the only thing we did. We as well, we truly streamlined the diagnostic and the treatment for this and teaching as well how how if somebody, a fully credentialed surgeon, what do you, how can you make them efficient at that in the fastest and most efficient way? Meaning that, you know, what it takes to make a spine surgeon uh, absolutely uh, expert on the sacroiliac joint in the best way possible that it's good for patients. Now, we failed to mention your website uh, at being uh, inspired inspiredspine.com and you are up in the Minnesota area but you correct. you will take patients from outside of, of, of the state right correct we take actually patient internationally patient from Canada Europe Middle East and even that uh, thanks to your podcast actually a patient from Philippines called us oh, and wow. coming to get treatment so you are famous, Bob. Thank there you we for go. having me on your show. <laughs> well, I again, I you know, th this is such a benefit to uh, so many listeners, and 
Um, we'll make sure we get the word out. Um, we'll, we'll make sure we get the website. And, you know, if you haven't seen already, we had two other previous uh, uh, videos with Dr. Abbasi, and we'll put the links below for those, and those are on the spinal fusions. And again, just as amazing technique, uh, less invasive, less blood, less recovery time. So uh, anything else you want to add, Dr. Rossi? Yeah, actually, what I want to add is the human cost of not getting this right. This is our, our duty as physician, as a provider, and I see you as a provider, Bob, is to educate our patient. And uh, as uh, my hero and poet, Maya Angelou said, mm -hmm. do the best you can until you can do better, then do better. Love it. This is on us. This is on us providers to be hungry for knowledge, to look at the data, analyze them. Yes, we deserve to go to vacation and so on, but, uh, and have a family life and so on. We deserve, as a doctor, we deserve that as well. Yes. But but the burden on us is much higher than a random people. People entrust their loved one. They let me open their skull and spine, operate two millimeters from their spinal cord. They trust to come and in my operation room being completely naked. And just they trust their family, their loved one, their, their body to us. So we, as provider, we have to do the best we can and always try to do better. But when we can do better, we have to do better. This is one of those areas that the nature has made it easy for us to make it better. So I'm offering, I'm truly uh, offering everybody, even my competitors here in this town to come. I'll make, I teach you this because our patient truly deserve that. You are truly an amazing man. I, I really, I'm really inspired every time. Inspired, fine. I'm really inspired. So, I, I it was really a, truly an honor for you, you to be I on our show. That. So, again, the invitation is open. If there's any other <laughs> uh, procedures you come up with, uh, we'll make sure to present those too. So, Okay, again, we'll have uh, his website down below in the comments, as well as to the links for the previous uh, presentations on the lumbar spine. So thanks again, Dr. Abbasi. Always my pleasure. Yep. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.